do it. Let's, let's, let's jump in. It's page 54. This is the first section of this week's Torah reading. And, you know, when we think of this section of the Torah, the main character or the main characters are Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. There is, so those are the people that we know about. We think about the binding of Isaac. We think about uh, their, their child, uh, Isaac, uh, 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 they're having the child Isaac, the different journeys that they go on. But there's a very, 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 in my opinion, important character who shows up time and time again. And I want to spend some time analyzing this character because he's a character that we don't spend too much time thinking about, at least in my experience. And if he, you know, there, there are main characters and there are, you know, the characters who are not main characters but seemingly play a significant role, they must have a role. They must be teaching us something. So I want to focus on one part of this individual's life. And this individual is a man by the name of Lot or Lot. And he is a nephew of Avraham. Okay, he is Avraham's nephew. And he goes along, he can, he can, as we'll read in a moment, he goes on this journey with Avraham until, at some point we're going to read today as well, the two of them split. They go in different ways, which we'll read about, okay? So again, we have this individual, good morning everyone, this nephew of Avraham, his name is Lot or Lot, and they begin the journey together, but then they split in that journey. And so my question to you, feel free to grab a chumash. Uh, they're on the center beam over there, and we're on page 54. My question to all of you is as follows. Why is, does this person play? Why do we read about this person? It, why is he here? Why is this, you know, we have supporting characters. What role does this supporting character play? Why do we read about Lot or Lot in these partios, in these sections? Any thoughts? Like, what, what are your thoughts about this man, right? What have you, do we know about this person at all, other than knowing his name? What, what's the significance? Avraham, Sarah, we know their significance. They teach, they, they're our ancestors. Their, their stories teach us about who we are, what we need to do. Why do we need to know about this individual? What is the significance? What is the moral uh, implicate? What are the moral implications of, the, of the, the stories that we learn about Lot? Lot. What do you think about him? Yes, Roberta. He was, in some ways, the opposite of Abraham. Okay. Abraham listened to Hashem, paid attention to Lot, had the opportunities to. Okay, good. But he frequently made different choices. Okay, okay, good. And I want to come back to that point, but in he some ways he... questions when we can't hear with the mask. I'll repeat, I'll repeat, yes, I'll repeat the answer. So the answer, the, 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 the suggestion that Roberta made is that Lot is in some ways an opposite to Avraham. And that's an excellent, excellent way of looking at it. And I'm going to come back to that point. Then in some ways, uh, Lot may even be the foil, as they, you know, in, 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 in narratives where you have like almost the, the, almost the opposite character. That's Roberta's suggestion. Any other thoughts, any other ideas before we jump into the actual text? It's not a good sound. Lot, uh, we don't know. That's a great question. We don't have any clear indication that he's an idol worshiper. Well, Gabriel was the first monotheist, right? And he joins part. He joins. He joins with Abraham. So, it, you know, he seems like he's a monotheist himself. Yeah. So, you know, what? let's let's jump into the text now. Let's see what the text has to tell us, and I think we will uh, come out with a. I, I'd like to think a simple but very important and relevant idea in our lives. The stories, the narratives of Abraham and Sarah are some of the most instructive and relevant to anyone who attempts to go on a spiritual journey. Abraham is the great, uh, you know, he is the one who no one is before him and he goes on this very bold and courageous journey coming to the land of Israel, coming close to God. And when we think of embarking, change, doing something which takes uh, a little bit of courage of, of breaking free from the mold, etc., we turn to people like Abraham to learn from him and so instead of focusing on Avram, we're going to focus on the others and perhaps Lot over here and maybe think about what Roberta said and try to understand Lot in that context. So with that little introduction, let's begin. Let's read through the story. We're going to read it. We're going to read it straight uh, because we need to see a bit of text and, and, then we'll, and then we'll analyze it together. So again, page 54, page 54, okay? Vayom, and most of what I'm going to share with you is based on a wonderful, wonderful essay written by Rabbi Elchanan Samet from Gush Etzion. Okay, so like this. Vayomer Hashem el Avram, God famously says to Avram, this is the opening dialogue, the opening monologue that God has with Avram. Lech lecha me'artzecha umimolatecha mibesavicha. Go from your land, from your household, from your father's house. To the land that I show you, right? Famous words, the commentators point out that from a geographic perspective, this verse is actually out of order. The first place, if you're going on a trip, the first place you leave is your house. And then you leave your town. And then you leave your country. 
right? Instead, it says, leave your country, leave your birthplace, your town, and then leave the house of your father, right? It seems a little bit backward, but the commentators point out, as we all know, this journey is not just, it is a geographic journey. Avram is traveling from a place called Haran to the land of Israel, what was then known as Canaan. But the journey is not just a physical one. It is also a spiritual journey. Avram is at being asked, is being directed to reimagine who he is. And when we think of it in that perspective, then it does make sense. The first, the easiest thing to drop is our general alliance, affiliation with our country. And then we have the specific customs and culture of our immediate hometown. And the most difficult thing that Avram had to do was really break free from the lessons, from the ideas that he learned in his own household. So in that respect, if we're thinking about it as a spiritual journey, a journey of change, of internal change, then it actually is in perfect order. Because yes, from a geographic perspective, he needs to leave his house and then his city and then his country. But spiritually speaking, first he leaves his country, then he leaves his city, and then the most difficult, he has to somehow sever ties because his father's household taught and, and stood for ideas which were antithetical to the values that Avram was going to be promoting. And therefore, it was the last part of his journey is to break free from whatever negative influences he had from his household. In that light, leaving from the country, the city, and then his household is indeed the correct order. Okay? To the land that I will show you, gadol, I will make you a great nation. Or in verse 2, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Or, as we'll see in a moment, seemingly a source of blessing for others. Avram over here is being told that him and his descendants will be kind of the source of all blessing, all goodness that will come into the world. It will come through, or at least spiritual blessing will come through the, through the, the medium of the Jewish people. That is our calling. Our calling is not to be a spiritual people to serve ourselves and our own needs, but rather when God chooses Avraham, you know, there's, this is a very important, again, it's not the focus of our class today, but, you know, we have this notion that Jewish people are singled out. And some, I think very much mistakenly, in my opinion, see that as a sense of, well, we are chosen, we are singled out, and therefore we need to live this spiritual life. Let's hide away and have nothing to do with the rest of the world because we are the spiritual people. And quite clearly, when Avram is being designated, is being separated from the rest of the world, he's being told, no, the opposite. You are being singled out for the sake of the rest of the world. You need to grow. You need to have unique commandments, not for your own sake, but rather because through you, the rest of the world will grow, will develop, will change, right? It's a very important shift of perspective, right? In the sense that our greatness is only so because we are going to, we are expected to provide for the rest of the world. Okay, let's keep on reading. We haven't even gotten to Lot, who we're really focusing on. And here we're about to be introduced to him. So, Vayelech Avram Kasher Dibre Elav Hashem. Avram goes just like God commanded him. Vayelech Ito Lot. And Lot, who is his nephew, comes along with him. Okay, this is, our, this is where we're being told that Lot, even though Lot is not commanded, Lot follows along on the spiritual journey. So far, what's our perspective of Lot? Two thumbs up, right? This is a great person. Avram is told to go on this journey. Lot isn't told by God to do so, but he recognizes that Avram possesses something of importance, something of greatness, and he wants to be a part of it. And therefore, Lot follows along on this spiritual journey. Okay? My favorite verse. Avram, when he begins his spiritual journey, is how old? 75 years old. That's when he begins his spiritual journey, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, um, 75. That's when he begins, okay? It is never too late. It is never, ever too late. Avram is 75, and he's just getting started at 75. He continues. We should all continue. We should all be well. We should all be healthy. But not to think, you know, the notion of retirement only applies to our professions. It does not apply to our spiritual life. On the contrary, as we age, Avram, Moshe, our greatest leaders really only get started at a very, you know, at, at, at ages like 75 and 80. Let's keep that in mind. Okay, verse 5. Sorry? Mm, some do, some don't. They die 120. That's not, you know, Avram. Yeah, we should all. We're getting, we're getting there. We're getting there. Hold on tight, Irma. Don't, hold on tight. We're getting there. 
<laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Okay, Pasuk, hey, Vayikach Avram Esarai Ishto, Veslot Ben Achiv. And Avram takes Sarai and Lot. It's interesting, there's almost a contradiction over here. On the one hand, it implies that Lot, in verse 4, it says Lot goes seemingly on his own. And then in verse 5, it sounds like Avram takes Lot. Which one is it? Is Lot doing this on his own? Or is he being taken along by Avram? Right? So this, we already have a little bit of ambiguity about this personality. Is he someone who takes the initiative to say, hey, like we expressed a moment ago, spiritual journey, I want to be a part of it? Or is he someone who just fought, who is taken along, schlepped along by Avram, who's the, the head of the household? Okay? This, his father was dead. It's excellent. Very good. His father was dead. That's right. So he's, he's basically adopted... Right, and that's a very important point you're making, Leah, and that is that we need to think, recognize that Lot, again, Lot is Avram's nephew. Lot's father is no longer alive, and so Lot is in some, and, and again, Avram has no children. So Lot, let's start thinking about this a little bit, Lot is almost seen as the adopted son of Avram. Let's store that in the back of our mind, and that's going to play a role in our understanding of some of what's going on over here, okay? And here's another key word that we're going to come back to. And they take, They take all of their possessions which they possessed, meaning it sounds like there is one collective over here. Avram, Sarai, Lot, these seems to be the main players, and they have their possessions, a collection of possessions that belong to all of them, seemingly, right? Because they are one family, Right? Lot is not a separate entity. Rather, all of their possessions. You'll see soon why I'm emphasizing that. All the people which they influenced in Haran. Avram was preaching monotheism even before he enters the land of Canaan. They go to the land of Canaan. And they come to the land of Canaan. Okay, let's keep on reading. We're going to read a little bit quicker now. Vayavar Avram ba'aretz an mekom Shechem. Avram travels through the land to a place called Shechem. Ad Elon Moreh. Okay, to a place called Elon Moreh. Vakna'ani az ba'aretz. And the Canaanites are then in the land, right? Avram, he comes to a land and the land is, is owned, is, is controlled by a family that is not related or immediately related to his. Vayera Hashem al Avram, and God appears to Avram Vayomer, and he says, Lizaracha attain esa aretz hazos, to your children I will give this land. Okay? So we're ta- taught immediately Avram comes to the land. He doesn't know which land God is going to give him, but when he arrives in Canaan, God appears and says, I'm going to give you this land. Now, it's worth thinking about. Land could be, you know, this land, how do you divide a land? You know, for example, you know, you know it depends on what history could have, uh, could have, the United States of America could have been a larger country had they won some battles up north. It could have been a smaller country had they lost some battles down south, right? So when you say this country, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, it, it could mean so many different things. Right? Avram is standing in one place, in Elon Mora, and God says, this land is land I'm going to give you. Is God giving him a field? Is God giving him a city? Is God giving him the entire Middle East? We have no idea. It's not very defined. And all, all we know is God said, I'm going to give you this land. Maybe a city, right? Maybe a small plot of land. God is not clear about what type of land is being given to him. And we're not going to be able to do full justice to this. But as we read through these partios, as we read through these Torah readings, it's worth paying attention as God reiterates this blessing over and over. Pay attention to how God describes the land each time. We'll see one, we'll see a second time God describes the land, but it's important to know that each time there might be a little bit of a difference, okay? We're dropping clues at this point. We're not really diving in, but let's keep on reading. Avram builds an altar, Lashem Hanira Elav to God who appears to him. So Avram then goes to the mountains um, and he pitches his tent over there. Base El Miyam Mikedem. Okay, gives us the exact coordinates. Vayiven Shamizbeach Lashem, and he builds an altar to Shem. Vayikra Bashem Hashem, and he calls out uh, in the name of God. Vayisa Avram Haloch Vinasoa Hanegva. Avram travels south. Okay, why does he travel south? Any thoughts? Any ideas? What's south in Israel? Warm. Sorry. Warmer. It's warmer, and it's also pretty arid. 
right? Um, presumably not so well inhabited. Some actually suggest that Avram at this first part of his journey is actually deliberately going to a place with a little bit more solitude, okay? Because within the course of growth in Judaism, you know, in, in certain cultures, certain faiths, we know the, the, the image of spirituality is what? Is like some individual meditating on, you know, this monastic lifestyle up on some mountaintop, right? This notion of being completely separate from people. That's not Judaism's perspective, okay? We believe that spirituality is found besoch within the people. And at the same time, there is a little bit of a, a dynamic where we recognize that too much immersion within you know, human life within all this commerce, etc., could erode a little bit of our spirituality. And so we need to constantly be going away and back, away and back. To completely be away is not good. And this is, by the way, this is the notion of Shabbos, right? Six days a week, we immerse ourselves in the world around us and we're bombarded with everything and this. And Am I recording this class? I am, good, thank God. Okay, yeah, we're bombarded with everything. And then we stop, Shabbos, a break. And even more, Rav Cook speaks about this, that the year of Shemitah, which we are experiencing, it doesn't have so much ramifications for you and I, but if you were to live in Israel, and certainly in biblical times when most people were farmers, six years, regular life, seventh year, it's a sabbatical in the truest sense of the word. For a year, you know what they would do in ancient Israel, what they were supposed to do? This, all day, all night. They immersed themselves in spirituality. Nothing. There was nothing else. They completely immersed themselves. Why? Because there's this constant tension. So we need to run away a little bit, but then we go back into the world. Run away a little bit and go back into the world. And if you watch closely in Avram's journey, there is, it's interesting to know when he goes south. Okay? Another time he goes south, which will help shed light on this, is when his son Yitzchak is born. When Yitzchak is born, he once again, at that point, he's already living a further north in a more populous area. When his son is born, he goes south again. Why? Because he wants his son to begin his journey away with, you know, you know uh, with no distractions, and then he goes back into the world. You know, uh, you know modern uh, application, maybe people will call this the gap year, you know, for someone graduating a high school, before they jump into the world, college, and they go, people, many people spend some time in Israel. It's not everyone, you know, spend some time in Israel, away and just completely in this little cocoon, and then they go out. And it's that, that, that constant, that Shabbos, that, that tension of back and forth that we're watching Avram do a little bit of that here. Yes, Miriam, thank you for... Oh, in line of what you're saying, let's not forget that it says, he's bringing along this whole group of people to whom he is educating in monotheism. That's right. And they're, and they're surrounded with all kinds of idol worship. So even if his faith is strong, he's concerned about the people that he's inculcating with this new religion. Excellent. And he's separating them as well. Excellent. Because of all the influence of the other polytheism and and Yes, excellent. So, so just to echo what Miriam said, for those who can't hear, who are uh, listening, uh, not, not here, um, yes, it may, perhaps it's not only for him, but perhaps to escape the influences of those around him for the sake of his followers, maybe that's why he's going down south. Another thing to keep in mind as we read through the story of Avram is if this group of people actually is, where, where are they? As time goes on, we kind of stop hearing about them. And did they, what happened to them? Okay, this is an in, intriguing question. We see Avram travel. Avram, uh, you know, people call them converts. There's no religion to convert to. But Avram influenced a group of people. We don't know how many people. But he influenced a group of people to, to the extent that they left their homeland to travel along with Avram. They were so inspired, so taken by this charismatic leader that they travel with him. And then as time goes on, we stop hearing about them. So throw that as a question. We have to ask ourselves where they are. But again, to reiterate Miriam's point, maybe he's traveling not just for his own growth, but for the sake of his followers so that they're not influenced. Again, down south, because it's a very dry land. You ever travel down now in Israel? Thank God, we live in miraculous times. You see flourishing, but you go even further down south, it's just, it's, it's sand. I mean, there's nothing there, right? So, okay, let's, let's keep on reading. Um, he comes, verse 10, he comes and there is a famine in the land. So there's no food. Avram has to eat. He has to feed his followers. Avram travels to Egypt to sojourn there because the famine was quite great. Okay, this next passage is very complicated. It's not our focus today, so I'm going to read through it without really analyzing it. Our, our main subject today is Lot, 
So this, but, but I'm acknowledging that this next little section is a little bit troubling, but we don't, it's not really our time and place to really analyze it properly right now. So verse 11 and as they get close to Egypt, Vayomer Avram says to his wife, El Sarai Ishto to Sarai his wife. Verse uh, 11, we are now on page, where are we? We're in the middle of page 56. I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, and they will let you live. Our introduction to Egypt, which obviously plays a significant role throughout the Chumash, is one of a place that is depraved, a place of immense immorality, to the point that they are going to take a married woman, murder her husband for the sake of her, right? So that's our introduction. Whenever the Torah introduces a concept, you want to pay a lot of attention to it. Our introduction to Egypt is a place that is steeped in immorality of all sorts, okay? Avram is afraid. So what is his suggestion? His suggestion, again, is an interesting one. Say that you are my sister. So be good for me so that I will live. The commentators suggest, again, we're not going to analyze it fully right now, but the commentators suggest that this was really a stalling tactic. Avram's agenda, Avram's goal is to return to what is then Canaan. He doesn't want to stay in Egypt. But he says, if I say, this is how the Malbim understands it, if I say that, if we say that you're my sister, then they're not going to kill me. On the contrary, they'll, they'll say, okay, well, we're going to have to bribe him. We're going to have to figure out ways to, to try to go ahead and, and be the one that is chosen. You're in charge as the big brother. You're in charge. And therefore, they'll, they'll, they'll spend time courting me so that I will let you marry one of them. And after, you know, I'll be with this person. I'll say, oh, I'll have to meet with this person. I'll meet with that person. And two months later, I'll say, well, let me get back to you. In the middle of the night, we'll go back to Canaan. All will be well. That, that's how the Malbim understands it, which is a good approach, right? Basically saying his, his intention over here was to spare her any humiliation and also to save his life. That, that was the goal. That was the intention. That's one approach. That's one understanding. And that's what he means over here, that they're going to do good for me. It wasn't like he was trying to, quote unquote, like make money off her, which would seem like terrible. Uh, but rather the idea was that he is trying to create, set up a system, set up, an, set up, set up a, 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 a some form of a deception, which will spare her, spare him, and allow them to leave safely, okay? So what happens? When Avram comes to Egypt, and indeed, like Avram said, Avram uh, uh, thought, um, the, the, the Egyptians see her, and she is beautiful. And the ministers of Paro see her. And they praise her to Paro. And she is taken to the royal palace. In other words, his plan didn't anticipate the king getting involved. In other words, for the regular person, no big deal, right? Um, no big deal. What's going to happen is they're going to see her and, uh, you know, they'll try to, to win him over. But if the king gets involved... The king does whatever he wants. So basically just snatches her up and that's, uh, and that's it. Okay? So let's, let's now actually just skip over. Uh, should we read it? Okay. You know, um, okay, let, let's keep on reading. And to Avram it was, uh, good was done because of her. They, they give him all this wealth. Okay? Um, basically as a way of, of uh, making him happy. Vayinaga Hashem es paro negaim gedolim vespeiso al devar. We're on page fifty-eight. Al devar Sarai eshes Avram. But uh, God wants to ensure that Sarah is not violated, and therefore He afflicts Paro. Okay. Vayikra far la Avram, and Paro recognizes that something supernatural is going on. He calls Avram vayom, and he says, "Mazos asisali." We're at verse eighteen, right? What did you do? Lamalo higatali ki ishtachahi. Paro puts the pieces together. He says, this doesn't make sense. There must be something else going on. And he recognizes that it must be that really she is not his sister. Really, she is the wife. And he confronts Avram about this. Avram does not respond. Uh, he says, Lama amarta chosi hi. Why did you say she was your sister? I took her as a wife. And now, here's your wife. Take her and go. Okay, here's where... We're going to bring Lot back in. Verse 20. And Paro instructs that there are people who should watch over. He gives like uh, soldiers over to Avram. And they send him 
and his wife and everything that they have. Okay, now, we're about to start a new chapter, right? Chapter 13, right? You with me? Now, you'll notice that, you know, who, who put together the chapter system? You know the name of the person who put it together? I forgot his name too. Uh, but he is not a Jewish person. It's a, that's right. It was a minister, uh, priest. I forgot exactly his role. But this goes, the chapter system that we use is extremely convenient and therefore we utilize it. But it was put together by a Christian thinker. Uh, I forgot if it was a priest or whatever, whatever exactly his role was. But it's put together. It's not a Jewish thing. The break, and therefore the chapter system, okay, is when we see new chapter, we have to recognize that that isn't necessarily our way of looking at it. It's convenient. If I want to tell you where I'm up to, I say chapter 13, verse one, you could easily find it. Great. But chapters also, that when I, where, where I pause makes a big difference, right? It tells me something about the story I'm telling. When I split up a certain story, it tells me this a new story or not a new story. In the Jewish text, if you look, let's just, just to give you some sense of what I'm referring to, turn back a page to page 56, okay? And you'll notice at the end of verse nine, there's a little gap over there. See that gap on page 56 after verse nine? Okay. The reason you see a gap there in the Hebrew uh, after verse Pasuk Tess, in the middle of the page, there's a gap in the middle. That is a copy of what you would see in a Sefer Torah. In the Sefer Torah, we have the way that we know that there is a new section is not by anyone saying new chapter, but rather when there is a space Okay, whenever there's a space in the Torah, that tells us it's a new section. Okay, so whereas when things just flow from one to the next, that means it's not a new section, right? So in the Torah, the way that we know it's a new section, the Torah didn't have a number system. If you open a Sefer Torah, it doesn't say verse one, verse two, verse three. You only find that in a book, okay? The Torah, our traditional way of telling you it's a new section is by placing a gap between two sections. So what's very interesting to me, so I understand where the Christian Thinker went ahead and said, what we're about to read now is a new story, a new narrative, right? And, and we'll see, what we're about to read is Avram and Lot separating their paths. Seems to be a whole new story, nothing to do with what we just read before. But in our tradition, we're being told implicitly that it actually is one narrative. There is no gap. There is no gap. We just finished reading about Avram's little stay, little thing in Egypt, and immediately afterwards, we read about this division between Avram and his nephew Lot. And it's not a new chapter. It's all part of the same chapter, which means that when we read this, we have to ask ourselves, in what way is this new piece that we're reading over here, which, again, I would assume is really a new story, a new narrative. In what way is it not a new narrative? In what way is it connected to the story before? Are you with me? Right? clear that it's one narrative from the Torah's way of framing it. Let's see how that takes place. So let's begin out chapter 13. But again, not a new story, one that is in some ways a continuation of the story of Egypt. Let's begin. So Vayal Avram mitzrayim. Avram went up from Mitzrayim. Hu ve'ishto v'chol asher lo. Him, his wife, and everything they have. Okay. V'lot imo hanegba. And lot with him to the south. Meaning they're heading back to the south of Kenan. Now, what's interesting about this verse to you? What stands out in this verse to you? Yes. Uh, well, Lot is divided now. Ah. He, just, he was taken, or he went with him. Now, there's a gap. It, it implies that Lot was kind of independent, and he joined. He Excellent, right? Family. Excellent. So to repeat what Roberta just said, in the first time we heard about Lot coming along on the journey, it said, Avra, Lot went with him, and Avram and Sarai and Lot went and their belongings. But notice how God over here in the Torah, how, how he frames this new going, this new journey. Vayal Avram Avram and his wife and his belongings, they went from Egypt. And then it says, the Lot Imo and Lot was with him. Something happened, right? They were seen as one unit in the section before, or not in the passage before, and now the Torah subtly is telling us something, some fracture took place because now Lot is no longer described as one with the group, but rather the Lot's emo, Lot is with him. But there is some, seemingly some fracture that we already should be paying attention to. Okay, a small fracture. Let's keep on reading. And Avram was heavy 
with cattle, silver, gold. In other words, he was, he was way down. He had much, much wealth. Vayelech lemasav, and he went on his journey. Minegev vad beis el, from the south. Now he starts going back up north. Okay, he's ready to re-engage, so to speak, with the society. He goes all the way back to his initial place where he stayed. Uh, Rashi actually has a fascinating comment over here. Why does the Torah tell us that he goes back to the specific place that he went to before? So Rashi tells us, we learn derech eretz from here. We learn a very important trait. If you go somewhere and you always stay by someone's house, or you always stay at a certain place, a certain hotel, whatever it is, it's appropriate to keep on going back, assuming it's not terrible, it's appropriate to go back to the same place. Why? Because if you go somewhere else, you're implying that something was wrong over there. Okay? A nice, beautiful, just a subtle, menschlich idea, something, derech it's just simply, what does it mean? How to be a good person? A subtlety that we may not have thought about. When Avram travels, he specifically travels back to the particular places. That's what it says. He goes to the place where his tent was situated before presumably in someone else's land. Why? Out of, out of respect to show that there was nothing wrong the first time you were there. Okay. El Mekoma Mizbeach, Asha Asha verse 4, it's the place which his, his Mizbeach, his, his, his uh, altar was before. Ve'yikra Sham Avram B'Shem Hashem, and again, Avram calls out in the name of God. And now in verse 5, Ve'gam lilo taholech es Avram, hayatzon uvakar ve'ohalim, and also for Lot, who is going with Avram, um, who is going with Avram, the, he also had much items. He had much wealth. He had much cattle and, and tents. He has, uh, he has his own wealth. Now, again, this goes back to what we saw before. Earlier on, when they travel from Haran down to Israel, to the land of Canaan, it says they took Rechusham Asher Rachashu. It describes their wealth as a collective. There is the wealth, there is the belongings of Avram, Sarai, and Lot. Here, it says, Avram has his wealth, and Lot also has his wealth. Okay? We're seeing that it's not just a fracture. There has been a, you know, uh, the, a separation already, right? Which is a dramatic shift from the way they were introduced to before. When we're introduced to Avram and Lot, they are one unit, both in terms of the way they travel, both in terms of their collective wealth. We're one household. But now there's clearly been some separation. There's been a separation. They, 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 they have to go to some lawyers. They wrote up this. They divided the state, whatever it is. Avram has his wealth. Lod has his wealth. And they're two separate entities. How did they get this wealth? Good question. The Midrashim suggests that somehow in Egypt they, they attained they much wealth. They were given based because of Sorai and, and Paro wanted to make them happy. But right? So again, this is subtle. If you don't read the Pesukim slowly... You come to Shul and you're zipping along with the, with the Balkore or you're just reading the Parsha on your own. You don't catch it. It's just the wealth, whatever. You know, the traveling of the wealth, right? But you see just the subtleties. The subtleties of the Torah is, is the most, I don't know, magnificent book, right? It's telling you already. So at first you see a little fracture and then you see there are separate entities. Something dramatic is taking place. And again, hopefully it'll help us understand why we're even reading about Lot. Who cares about this person, right? What's significant about him? But I think we're, we're getting closer to, to an answer. Yes? Is it significant that this fracture and this divide happened in Egypt? Perhaps. In perhaps. Egypt? And, and to our point earlier, right, the Egypt narrative is connected to what we're about to read over here. So I think without even understanding why, I think we'd all agree with you, Roberta, that there must be some connection between their journey in Egypt and what we're about to read. Otherwise, why are they connected? What the connection is, we have to develop. But there's clearly some connection, something about their travel to Egypt that's causing this fracture. We'll have to understand what it is. Let's keep on reading. Verse 6, verse Vav. The land was unable to hold them both. Because their wealth was great. And they couldn't sit and settle together. In other words, they were so wealthy, the land was simply not enough. Keep in mind, they, are, uh, they have a lot of cattle, they need a lot of produce, etc. It just simply wasn't, uh, it seems like the, the, the simplest understanding of the text over here is that there, there is a scarcity of, of resources for the both of them. To the point, verse 7, that he rived, there was a, a fight, an argument, between the shepherds of Avram and the shepherds of Lot, and the Canaanites and the Prezites were then in the land. Now that second part of the verse seems like a non sequitur. It doesn't seem to be connected to the first part. It tells us there was a fight between the shepherds. Oh, by the way, in case you weren't paying attention to the, you know, the, the, the geopolitical, uh, you know, whatever, uh, 
uh, the Kananim and the Prism are then in the lens. What? What connection do those two things have with one another? Any thoughts? Okay, right? You understand? You appreciate the question, right? It's, it just seems like a very much a parenthetical point. It's like we're in the middle of telling you about the, the breakup between Avram and Lot, and the land is not enough to have them both. And there's a fight between them. And by the way, between their shepherds. And by the way, the Kananim live in the land. Okay, what's it doing here? So Rashi, who is one who reads the text with a very, very sensitive, sensitive and exquisite ear and eye, suggests, he quotes the Midrashim, which addressed this question, and they suggest the second part of the verse is actually give, shedding light on the first part of the verse. It's suggesting that the fight between the shepherds of Avram and Lot revolved around the following. Lot would, Lot's shepherds would travel through the land, wherever they would go in the land, they'd go and they'd start eating from the produce. Whether it was private property, public property, didn't matter. And Avram shepherd said, what are you doing? If it's public property, sure. But private property, what are you doing? Why are you taking it? And Lot's shepherds responded as follows. They said, God promised the land to Avram. Avram is 75. He ain't having any children. I am his adopted child. I am the descendant. And this land is our land. This land is our land. Therefore, I have every right to go ahead and eat it. And the shepherds of Avram responded, true, God promised to us, but not yet. God said, I'm going to give you this land. I have not given it to you yet. And that's what the Pasuk saying. At that moment, the Canaanites and the Prezites were living in the land. It was not yet the land of the Jewish people. And therefore, Lot was mistaken. It's true, God said, eventually I'm going to give it to you, but not now. Now it's stealing if we take it. We're only allowed to have it when God says, now is the time, which took a few more hundred years until that happened. Let's keep on reading. And here is the, the big divide. Verse Ches. Vayomer Avram Elot, and Avram turns to Lot and says, Al nasihi meriva beini uveinecha, let there not be a fight between you and I, between me and you. Uvein roai, uvein roecha, between our shepherds. Ki anashim achim anachnu, we're family. We're brothers, we can't afford, how can we be fighting? It doesn't seem right. Halo lefanecha. The entire land is open before you. He parade namialai, separate from me. Right? This is not working. We're getting in fights. Sometimes, you know, distance is, is healthy. Sometimes, you know, it's not ideal, but sometimes distance is healthy. Sometimes having a little bit of a gap between people is actually going to cause more shalom. And that's what Avram tells Lot. Lot, this isn't working. We're fighting. Our shepherds are fighting. We need to separate. Listen to what he says. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Avram says, you pick a side of this land and I'll go to the other side. Now, the land of Israel, we all know what it looks like, more or less. It's like something like this, right? This is a decent depiction, something like this, right? It's basically a very, 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 very narrow land, okay? Uh, it has its challenges strategically because of that, okay? If you are going to divide the land, if there is a right and left that Avram and Lot need to divide this land, how would you divide this land? North and south, right? Excellent. North and south, right? You would say, Avram, you go, you take the Golan down to, I don't know, a little bit above Jerusalem, and then, uh, you know, and Lot, you take Jerusalem and down, or vice versa, something like that, because then you actually have something substantial. Right and left in Israel, if this is the land, it would make sense to divide this way. Let's see what happens, though. Vayisa Lot es verse 10. Uh, we're now on page 60 or 61. Lot lifts his eyes. Vayar es kol kikar hayarden. He sees the plain of the Jordan. Kichula mashke, that it was very um, filled with, with water. Another word, mashke, well, had probably a good, better translation. It was uh, well watered everywhere, right? Why is it well watered? It's right next to the Jordan. Okay, so Sodom, right? He sees the, the Jordanian banks. The, the land next to Jordan, next to the, Jordani, the, the river, Jordan River, is, was lush. It was, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there were, there, it, was being, it was being fed from the Jordan River. Kichula Mashke was very watered. This is all, This is before God destroyed Sodom and Amorah. It was like the Garden of God, like the land of Egypt. Woo, interesting. Egypt was just invoked again. That's interesting. We just heard about Egypt, right? Lot looks up and he sees a land that is well watered, Okay. And it is like a garden of God. It's awesome. It's awesome, right? And it is like Egypt, Boacha Mitzra, Boacha Tzor, going towards Tzor. That's the geographic location. 
So, so what's going on over here, right? What, what? So first of all, let's understand. If they're splitting up the land, right and left is not east and west, it's north and south. That's the logical understanding of, north, of, of right and left. Instead, where does Lot look? He looks towards the Jordan. He looks east, okay? That's where he looks. Doesn't, from a, this doesn't make sense. If, if he wants the land of Israel, he should go up or down. Instead, he goes east. And where does he go? He goes to a land that, just like Egypt, is well-watered thanks to the Nile, right? He goes to a land that reminds him of Egypt, a place where things are comfortable, a place like Egypt, right? A garden of God. It's awesome. It's amazing. And let's try to understand, right? And that's where he decides to travel. Now, we know that Sodom is not the greatest place. But before we even get there, what we see already from Lot is that we, we know, let's just review the steps very quickly, because here, right? Lot is clearly a man of great stature. He decides, at least seemingly on his own, or at least one read, one verse seems to indicate, that although Avram is the one who's commanded to go, Lot says, I'm coming along. He sees himself as part of Avram's family, part of Avram's mission. And if we were to conjecture, we'd assume that Lot is seen as the heir. He's the one who's seen as, I'm going to take over. I'm going to be the one who's going to continue the legacy, teaching monotheism to the world. I got this. I'm going to bring chesed, just like my, my, my uncle Avram. He is the successor for all intents and purposes. That's clearly the way he's looked. And they travel along. They come to the land of Israel. They come to Canaan. And guess what happens? They start traveling. They go to this place. They go to that place. They start living this nomadic lifestyle. They're no longer settled in Haran. They're coming to this land and they finally come to a location this land. And guess what? There's no food. There's a famine. Right? Because Israel is very much dependent on rain. Which, as we know from Baltimore, as Baltimoreans, we can never predict. Right? They're always wrong. I don't even know why we have weather people in the city. Okay? It's, it's just insane. Right? We have no idea when it's going to rain. No idea. And, and they're completely at the whims of, of, of the rain. And there's a famine. They immediately have to get up and go. Right? And then Lot on this travel comes... And he's been traveling around, smelly. He comes to Egypt. And Egypt is awesome. Egypt, everything, everyone is comfortable. Everyone is living this content, serene life. It's like the Garden of Eden. It's like the Garden of God. It's such a comfortable place. And it would seem that while he's in Egypt, right, that's the missing link, right? That we watch the, this trajectory of Lot, who goes from being part of Avram's entourage and a successor of him to living in Sodom and really being a leader in Sodom, the most evil and moral place. What, where's the missing link? The missing link is he sees something that's so much more enjoyable, so much so less stressful. And he says, you know what? This thing isn't for me. This running around, this nomadic lifestyle, this stressful living, I can't do it. I want to go back to a place like Egypt. And that's why these two sections are connected. Because Lot's decision to go to, to, to Sodom, which is like Egypt, Lot's decision to ultimately end up in the most immoral of places is because he was, in, he was overwhelmed by the difficulties of Avram's journey. And what he experienced in Sodom said, told, taught him that, you know, I don't have to do this difficult life. I don't have to be so idealistic. I can have a much more pleasurable, enjoyable life. And he heads to Sodom. Let's keep on reading. Lot chooses the entire Jordanian bank. He says, we're splitting up the land. Great. Not north, not south. I got the east. I got the water. I got the pleasure. Lot travels from the east. Remember those words? Mikedem. Do those sound familiar? We only had one class. So this should be easy. Last week, if you recall, the group from traveled Mikedem. Remember they traveled Mikedem, the group that built in Babel, Babel, they traveled Mikedem from the east. And what did we say about that? Do you remember? We said that it doesn't, geographically, we're not sure if they're actually traveling from the east, but rather the word Kedem, the, the Midrashim suggested Mikadmuso shel Olam, refers to the first of the world. Kedem could mean east. It could also mean Kadmon. Kadmon lechol davar, asher nevra, rishon ben rishit, right? From Adon Olam. God is the first. They are traveling from the first one. They're running away from God. That's what the people building in Babel did. And that's what Lot is doing. Lot's actually traveling to the east geographically. The Jordan is to the east, right? right? And it doesn't say he goes Likhedem to the east, rather Mikhedem from the east, because once again, just like the people we read about last week who were running away Mikad Musa from the first of the world, Lot also is running away from God in doing so. He doesn't say so explicitly. First, it starts off by describing it's like Egypt. Oh, it's great. It's going to be a little less stressful. You know what? I'll have more time to focus on God. It's going to be less challenging. I'll have more time to study. I'll have more time to do mitzvos. But there's something else going on, right? It's very easy to be seduced and bribed by the pleasures of life. 
And ultimately, Mikedem, he's traveling, although he doesn't necessarily even himself realize it right away, he's traveling away from God. It's very enticing to live a pleasurable life. When you compare the life of Mitzrayim or the life of Sodom to the life of Avram, this nomadic, difficult, tiring, challenging lifestyle, we could understand where he's coming from, but we start to see. First, it starts off being described as a garden of God, Mitzrayim. Then he's traveling from God. Let's keep on reading, okay? Avram Yashav Eretz Kenan. Avram settles in Kenan. Velot Yashav Ariakikar Vayahal Ad Sodom. He is in the Jordan. He has tents, meaning he's situated all the way until Sodom. And here we are introduced to the people of Sodom. And this is the Va'anshe Sodom Raim Bechatam Lashem Eod. And the people of Sodom are terribly evil. Terribly, terribly evil. So let's just summarize for a moment. Is that Gomorrah, Sodom, and Gomorrah? That is Sodom and Gomorrah. Exactly. That's that whole region over there. Thank you for, yes. So, so we asked ourselves a question. We're going to be reacquainted with Lot at later sections in the Torah. But we asked ourselves a question. Why are we being told about Lot in this whole section over here? Why is that necessary? Meaning really, you know, one of the major episodes soon we're going to read about is Avram fighting against certain kings to save his nephew. All we have to know is he has a distant nephew. He has a nephew who lives in some other country and he goes to save him. And we're going to later read about Lot uh, who has very important descendants. Why are we introduced to Lot over here? That's a question that has bothered me. And, and what we're reading over here is, I think the answer is quite clear. The story of Lot, and it really goes back to what, what Roberta said. Avram and Lot almost start off in an identical point. They both start off on this noble, noble spiritual journey. But along the way, Lot is blinded by materialism. And he throws in that spiritual towel, towel right? He says, you know, forget it. And I think if we were to ask ourselves, we're to be honest with ourselves, you know, when we're younger, perhaps we have a certain idealism and we allow ourselves to sacrifice certain things for that idealism. We're able to say, you know what? Okay, it's not as comfortable. It's not as this, it's not as that, but I'm doing it because I believe in, fill in whatever the blank, right? We have idealistic selves who want to dedicate our lives to something higher, but then we get a little older. We get a little bit more cynical. We get a little bit more comfortable and it's hard to get up. It's hard to push ourselves, right? And so we exchange in our own way somewhat of the, the land of Israel with all of its challenges for something which is immediately gratifying like the land of Egypt. But the story of Lod is one where we know ultimately where it heads. It goes from, you know, the pleasure to running away from God to going to a place which is sinful. It is a very, it's a cautionary tale of an individual who starts off exactly at the same point of Avram. In some ways, I would argue, even better than Avram. Avram is instructed. Lot says, I'm not even, I'm going to go anyway because this is so important to me. But then we see how that blinds him and he ultimately goes astray. Okay? Let's bring it back to Avram for a moment, right? Avram is introduced to a promise. We're introduced to Avram in the context of a blessing, right? He's given a, he's given a promise that he's going to get, what, two things. One is a land. B, he has offspring, right? He comes to this land that he's being promised and it's not exactly a land flowing with milk and honey, is it? right? There's nothing. It's barren, right? He goes to Egypt where he gives, where his wife is abducted. If he's going to have children, where is the children going to come from? His wife, right? Again, there are two promises, land, children, okay? It's unlikely he's going to have a child, but if he is, it's coming from his wife. Land is terrible. There's a famine. Children, well, my wife is abducted. There goes that promise, right? Fine. She comes back. They come back into the land of Israel. And what happens? the adopted child that he has, who might be the successor, might be the child that God was referring to, departs and leaves, right? Three things that happen all the same. He has given a promise of land and and an offspring and a continuity, and the land is shown to be lacking. And the the notion of children is challenged at every turn between his wife being taken and his non-biological, but his adopted child being taken as well. And it would seem that those aren't just independent opening narratives. There's a reason those are the opening stories. What's happening is that they all revolve, they all revolve as a cha- around a challenge to Avram's faith, right? The original promise that he was given of descendants, of a nation and a land seems, when he was leaving Haran, it was a beautiful, bright-eyed promise. He comes to this land and it seems so incredibly remote. Everything's falling apart. And yet, Avram maintains his faith. Avram doesn't question God at any turn. Avram says, I don't get how this is a fulfillment of the promise, I don't understand it, and it's terribly challenging, but I'm still here. I believe in you, God. I believe that there, this promise is ultimately going to be fulfilled. And I'll prove to you that he, in doing so, by not asking those questions, in some ways actually 
demonstrates an even greater level of grayness than he did before, because if we look at the next verse, let's read Pasig Yedalad. Vashem Amar El Avram. And God says to Avram, Acharei Hipare Lot Meimo, after Lot leaves, Sana Enecha, lift your eyes up, Ure'eim in a Makam and you will see from the place which you are standing, Tzafona Vanegba Vakedma Viyama. Remember when he comes to the land, he said, you get this land. We asked ourselves a question. What does he get? Four by four? Does he get a hut? Does he get a city? Does he get a state? A country? The, we have no idea, but as far as we're concerned, he gets the land, a little place around him. Now God says, no, no, no. Look up. Look around. You're at a high point. He's in a mountain area. Wherever you see, that's going to be yours. The original promise could have been very small. But now Avram seemingly passed, although we don't call this his first test. I believe this is really his first test. His first test is to say, God says, you're going to get everything. And then God says, well, I'm taking it all away. The land, the children, the wife, the promise can't fulfill. And yet Avram says, I believe in you, God. I don't get it, but I believe in you. And God, therefore, reiterates afterwards and actually rewards him for that faith and says, you're going to get something even greater. Look around. The land is not going to be a little tiny plot of land. It's going to be tremendous. Wherever you could see, north, south, east, west, and the land is not going to be divided. Avram, you said, loads, you take part, I'll take the other part. God's saying, no, 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 no. It's all yours. Look around wherever you see it's yours. There is no division and it's as large as can be. So again, let's, let's quick just try to summarize what we read. This is a passage which, I, again, I don't think gets enough, um, enough focus, but there's really two fundamental lessons that are learned. One is this idea that we're starting on the same journey. There's a Lot, there's an Avram, they're starting on the same point, but it's so easy to go astray. It's something which, again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all experienced in some way. It's very, we get comfortable, right? We get comfortable as we, it's just, it's normal. It's life. But it's a cautionary tale about where that comfort could lead us. Lot is obviously an extreme application of it, but it's that cautionary tale of where our, our comforts, where our normal human desire for not living such a stressful and difficult life can lead us and how far astray can lead us from our original aspirations. And it begs us and demands of us to ask ourselves, you know, are we more of an Avram or more of a Lot in that respect? The other message, the other lesson from the story is the display of Avram's faith. Avram begins his journey with a promise and he's excited about that promise. And then everything that could help fulfill that promise, the land, the wife, his wife, his children, his you know, successor, all that is ripped away. And nonetheless, he still holds on to that faith to be able to believe despite all those challenges certainly speaks to the greatness of the Amuna, the faith of Avram and something we'll be hearing about more in the weeks to come. Okay, thank you. Have a good Shabbos. What age did he marry, Sarah? That's a great question. We don't know. It doesn't